Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Secret Stories from the Underground. Today, we have actor, comedian, Larry Hankin back on the podcast. Larry has been on the show before. He was a wonderful guest. We uh, talked to him about his movie career, but due to time, we did not have much uh, time to talk about all the TV acting he has done. So we are having him back today to discuss TV shows like Breaking Bad, Friends, The Friends Reunion, uh, Seinfeld, Laverne and Shirley, Larry has done so much. Jesus Christ, talk about working. This guy has worked his ass off for decades and uh, has so much to talk about. He's a very knowledgeable guy. You can learn a lot from Larry. Please, real quick, before we get into the interview, though, go like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is you do with podcasts. Please do it so you can stay up to date with all of the new episodes that we have coming your way. Alright, that's it. Enough of my bullshit. Let's get to our interview with Larry Hankin. Here it is. Larry! Hey, uh, Danny, how you doing? Hey, buddy, me and Dean are here, ready to podcast. How's your day going? Uh, it just started. <laughs> Did you wake up late, buddy? Uh, well, no, but my phone didn't ring. Uh, or, or I don't know. Did you call me? I called you twice. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got the message. Yeah, I see it now. <laughs> but it didn't ring, so I never picked it up. So that's why I was late. Then I, I picked up my phone, and I looked at it, and I go, holy cow, I got to call Danny. So that's why I called you. So, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my fault. But the phone didn't ring. I don't know why. Uh, I've had that problem before. I thought it was fixed, but I guess it's not. So, <laughs> It's all good, buddy. We would have waited all day for you, man. I want to give you a little compliment right now. Uh, just so you know, you are the highest rated guest we have ever had on the podcast. Oh, my God. Holy cow. So, yeah, we've had some great people on here, man. So uh, that's, uh, that's amazing. I'll never, I'll never be able to live up to that appellation. But okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, man. You got some great credit. So No, thank you. So today we're going to talk about your TV work. Um, when did you first get into doing television? When did I first start television? Or is that the question, really? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. When did I start television? Um, well, I, I, a date would be around 61 or 60. Uh I think the first thing I ever did was that girl or or Laverne and Shirley, one of those two. So it was around sixty-two or something like that. I was in the committee. I mean, I had been in. Uh, I'd been a stand-up comedian, and then I went to Second City for a while, and then I went. I started the committee with five other people up in San Francisco for ten years, actually, uh, and then I came down. Uh, to LA, so yeah, but I was working in television while I was in the committee. Oh, everybody in the committee was working in television. We would we would fly down. It was really cool because um, if we went down to LA, it was only thirty five dollar round trip ticket, a, a flight uh, <laughs> round trip. Yeah, that was amazing. So what what we could do, uh, we, we had a hit show in San Francisco. It was like a tourist attraction. I mean, it was it was. Uh, it rivaled Second City in Chicago. It was that big. And um, uh, what we would do 
is we we would fly down maybe for a, a, take off a couple of days, fly down to to hit all the managers and the agents and do the rounds to get a you know representation. And we could never get in really. I mean, it just it it was just as hard then uh, as it is now. It's probably harder now, but because of the plane flight and because we were such a big hit up in San Francisco, the big hitters, the green lighters, the CEOs, the producers, the casting directors would all fly up to see the show, you know, and bring their wives or their kids uh, up. And then they would, you know, take a tour of San Francisco and fly back the next day. And it was really a trip, a vacation of a couple of, of a weekend or something like that for, for a family thing. Or just maybe they wanted to check to see, you know, well, what's all this talk up in San Francisco about this hit show? So they would come up and they would see us in the show and it's a hit show. So they would hire us from the show. So in other words, if we stayed in San Francisco, we could get work and, and representatives. If we flew down to L.A., <laughs> nobody would talk to us. So it's really weird. Um, so one of those times when I was in the committee up in San Francisco, um, uh, Penny Marshall, among other big, big, you know, famous people. But for me, it was uh, Penny Marshall flew up to San Francisco, saw the show, uh, and then her producers called me a couple of days later and said, hey, Laverne, was uh, Penny Marshall was up there. She saw you, and we're doing a show about uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley are going to a prom. So... Laverne wanted a, a, a good dancer, and I was a physical comedian uh, from the show. So she said, well, get that tall, thin guy. So that, that's what kind of started me because uh, I think I had done that girl, but it was just like a one-off. You know, I had gone down there or somebody came up and said, you want to do a show? But nothing happened. I just did the show and went back up. You know, it was just two days, I think. But Laverne and Shirley, when Penny came down and the production company called me and uh, – I was on the show. Uh, I got a, I got an agent from that, and, and that's what started me in Hollywood. Is that that the Vernon Shirley show, and that's how I got an agent. That's awesome. That that show is such a legendary show. Uh, you you did uh, more than one episode on there, didn't you? Wow, very good, <laughs> very good. I had forgot. Yeah, I did. I think two. Uh, I. I yeah, I just remember the the one particular one, the first one that I did, because, um, uh, you know, we were rehearsing, uh, Penny Marshall and I were rehearsing the dance sequence. You know, she wanted to, because she, she's a comedian and she's a very funny person. I mean, she, you know, she could do stand-up herself. She could, <laughs> well, she could be a star in her own right, which of course she was, and and there's a reason for it. And one of the reasons is because she's a very good clown. You know, no, she, she can do falls and she can do the physical stuff. Yeah. So we were uh, rehearsing uh, uh, the dance and I, we were gonna do a dip. Uh, and so I did a dip and she said, why don't you just drop me? And now, I was afraid to drop her, but no, I mean, she she can do stunts. She, she's really good at it. So in other words, if I dropped her, it would be cool, and it would be very funny, I thought. But I, I, just <laughs> was, afraid of, I was afraid of dropping her. I really was afraid because, you know, she's if, if you do a dip, that means that I'm going to drop her, and she's going to land on her back and the back of her head. 
and and that that scared me. I, I mean, I didn't want to, you know, that that could be dangerous. So I didn't want yeah. to do that. And uh, so uh, we compromised, and we said, well, look, if we dance near the couch, then I could kind of dip you over the couch, and I can drop you. You can fall on the couch. She said, okay. And then she said, well, as long as you're dropping me on the couch, why don't you then drop me, trip, and fall on top of me? And that would be really funny. And I said, okay. So we were rehearsing that, and I hear this voice in the distance say, hey, what's going on here? And it was uh, uh, Gary Marshall, who was the producer, which is what was also her older brother, who was the producer of that show. And oh, really? And yeah, he says, what's going on here? And we said, we're, we're rehearsing for the dance, you know. And he said, no, no, what's this funny business on the couch? And we go, that's, oh, Larry, you know, she says, well, Larry, we're doing a dip. Larry dropped me on the couch and he fell on me. And he goes, no, 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 that's funny business. I don't want any of that stuff. And, and we're, we're, we start to laugh because obviously he thought we were, like necking on the couch or something. I don't know what was going through his mind. But he's going, no, that's a funny business. No touchy-feely, that's what he said. No touchy-feely on the couch. Come on, stop it. And a penny, you know, so we were standing there just gaping. At, what the hell is this guy talking about? And Penny just turned to me and she shrugged and said, you've been a very low voice, like he's just, He's my brother. <laughs> I, I, so I go, okay, yeah, cool. So I said, okay, Gary, all right, yeah, no, no touching feeling, fine. So we had a quite out. So, but that was the, how, how ridiculous some some things get on the set. I mean, it's just so weird, man. Uh, yeah, so that was a the little episode. And then after that, everything went fine. Uh, and then I did another one with um, uh, oh, another friend of mine. We did a, it was a double date uh, thing. I, so I don't remember the, the two shows. I do remember that instance and in rehearsing for the first show where we were going to dance together. Um, back in 77, it looks like you did. Um, some spots on the Lou Grant TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that I fun? Did, I, did one, I did one spot, I believe. One, one, one part. Was oh, I, I, okay. It, it, IMDb lies to me, apparently, because <laughs> it gives you two credits on there. It, uh, gives well, you no, credit they're, they're, as they're a cab driver. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, because I thought there were... Wow, that's right. I was a cab driver in one, and I was a cra uh, some sort of crazy guy. I was in a hospital. Uh, yeah, they give you the credit as Hazley. Hey, yeah, yeah, that was a walk and talk. When I was driving a cab, I dropped off Ed Asner. Uh, said I was just a, I don't know, just a, a little thing, you know. Just I was a cab driver. That was I just pulled up, and he got out of the cab, and I said something to him, and I drove off. That was a. The, the Ed Asner one. And then the other one, I had a walk and talk uh, situation, which uh, I, I didn't quite like, but uh, it came off pretty good. Uh, that was with um, the the young reporter star. Uh, I, it was 
maybe Paul Reiser, was he ever in that show? Or, or I don't know who I did. But anyway, I was a reporter. I was, I was walking and talking. I was a crazy guy um, in, a, in an asylum. I guess I was a witness to something. And a reporter came to talk to me. So we were walking and talking down the hallway. And I there was something wrong with my brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not not me much, but the character a lot, um, and uh, so I didn't I didn't quite have the handle of the character. I remember I was having problems with the with either the walking or the talking or the memorizing the lines or with the character. I remember I had a problem, but the problem seemed to be helping the craziness. Uh, so so I did a good job, but it, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I just, I mean, the, what my problem and the character seemed to coincide, and it just worked out pretty cool. Maybe I was stuttering or something, and it looked like he had brain damage. Whatever it was, it, it worked out. But I was, I was perturbed during the whole shooting of that, that that day because because of the. But and, you know, nobody said anything, nobody noticed, and you know, I watched the show. It was cool. Yeah. What what. What is it about your, is it a personality thing with you or what is it about you that seems that you get casted to play either crazy or kind of out there a little bit in the, you know, like you're just well, saying with your character in Lou Grant, your character in Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Armed and Dangerous, you're kind of like, friends. <laughs> the, yeah, the friends kid, you know, character, you're you right. kind of play the out there guy. Is that really you or is that you playing a bigger version of yourself? Well, well, wait a minute. That's a that's a trick question. <laughs> is it is it me or is it me fitting the character? But that means that it's me. I'm crazy. That, that's, <laughs> that's the only conclusion I can come to answering those two questions. No, it's it's, it's choice. I choose those characters because I like doing them because uh, they're a challenge because they. They're, they're different than, than normal. So I, I have to, you know, use a little imagination and, and I like that. But also I'm, and, and you had your, your uh, I guess your finger on, on the real problem and then the real problem is me, I'm dyslexic. So uh, I have to choose my, not that I choose crazy or out there roles, but the roles that are crazy fit my particular uh, challenge, which is dyslexia, mem memorization. Uh, I have a very tough time in uh, large amounts of linear information is, is basically what the dyslexia, and my part, dyslexia is different for different people, but it, it, it's a, it's, it has to do with brain cognizance and focus um, that um, I have a very, small band of focus energy, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's an, it's misdiagnosed as ADHD, which is just your mind is racing at a million miles an hour and you're thinking about 20 things at the same time. That's ADHD, uh, which is partly like dyslexia. I mean, that, that dyslexia seems to be like that, but it has to do with concentration and focus, dyslexia. In other words, I'll give you a perfect example in show business. When I did Breaking Bad, uh, 
um, I had five lines. And that was what was offered to me. That was what the part was. That was what I was auditioning for. I was such a big fan of Breaking Bad that I would do anything just to get on that show, even if it was a walk-on. So five lines didn't bother me. Now, and I, I should have turned it down ordinarily. If it was another show, I would have turned it down because I was up for bigger parts. And, and that was like a smaller part. But I thought, wow, man, Breaking Bad, I don't care. I just want to get on that set. I just want to be there. So I, I auditioned, I got the part, five lines, real easy, not, not a dyslexia problem. Uh, and then I showed up on the set to do my five lines, the first day of uh, my, my working for them. And I, the part that was given to me, basically when you show up on any set, uh, movie, TV, whatever it is, uh, in show business, you, you show up as an actor, when you get there, they hand you or on your dressing room, a small script, a very tiny script. It's about about half the size of an ordinary script or less. But what it is, and the reason that they're so small, is so that the actors on the set can carry them. They're not big, and they can put them in their pocket in case they want to check, you know, check their lines. All, all those little, they're little, so you can put them in your pocket. And on the first page of my part was a speech, a monologue that was an entire page, which I had no knowledge of or anything. I didn't even know it was mine. I mean, you know, I asked the AD, I said, what, what is this? He said, oh, Vince Gilligan saw your audition on, you know, on tape. And he thought you were such a good actor for, for uh, old Joe that uh, he told one of the writers to write you a monologue to keep, to keep the, the to keep the, um, uh, Brian and Aaron in the Winnebago and the cop out of the Winnebago. It was a scene where I was, the Winnebago was brought to my junkyard and I had to destroy it because I destroy illegally, you know, purchased or, or robbed stolen cars. Uh, I was an illegal junkyard dealer for cars. You know, I would just destroy them <laughs> so there's no evidence. So my five lines were just to, to buy the, the Winnebago from Brian. That was the five lines. You know, here's a Winnebago, destroy it. You know, don't let anybody know what the serial numbers are. Right, right. Give me the money. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. That was the part. And when I showed up, they had written a whole scene where I, old Joe, keeps, a, a cop shows up looking for the Winnebago and he finds it. I hadn't destroyed it yet. And he wanted to search the Winnebago and unfortunately, Brian and Aaron were still in the Winnebago. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what they were doing in there. I don't remember the plot line. But anyway, they were inside. And when they saw the cop out there, they just, you know, laid low and they were hiding in there. And I knew, one, the, the uh, old Joe knew that the Winnebago was illegal. And two, the owners of the is this illegal uh, things were inside there and they were going to get busted. So it was up to me to keep the cop out of there. And off my land. In other words, he wanted to just commandeer the, the Winnebago because they know they were, they were making drugs in there. So I had this long monologue of why, in legalese, it was a legal monologue that old Joe was legally, uh, because he was an illegal operator of, of, and of destroying illegal cars, I, Joe, had to be up on my legal rights because I was always chasing cops off because my junkyard was full of illegal cars. 
So that's what the monologue was about. The legal reasons, it was a full page of legal reasons why that cop could not go in the Winnebago and he had to get off my land right now because he didn't have a search warrant. Mm -hmm. That's what I had to say in a page. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Uh, so that was the dyslexia thing. So what I did, I know I, I wouldn't cop. I never cop to anything I can't do. Like, can you run? <laughs> yeah, of course I can. You know, oh, can you jump off that building? You know, oh, yeah, sure. Easy peasy. Uh, you know, and then let them deal with it once I'm on the set, you know, and they can't fire me. Maybe they get a stunt guy to do it, you know, whatever. Whatever it was, I couldn't do it. And but I wouldn't cop to it. And there was no stunt guy and there's no way for a stunt guy to just memorize lines. So what I did was I improvised it. That's what I did. So in that scene where you see me keeping the cop out with all this legal bullshit, that's me improvising. <laughs> I just wouldn't cop to the fact that I, there's no way that I can memorize this. And I had two hours to do it, you know, uh, so, you know, b between the time I saw the monologue and the time I had to shoot it, I only had two hours. I had, I need, for a page, I need three days, minimum three days. So, I mean, that's the dyslexia. And, and I generally say that. In other words, it's not like I'm showing up blind or anything, you know, and I'm just shakabuku-ing them. No, <laughs> that uh, I basically, when I signed to do it, they're, they're told that Larry for this part, or I wouldn't accept the part. In other words, the part is too big where I don't have enough time. I can tell that I don't have enough time to memorize the part. I just tell them in front, well, I'll either have to turn down the part or you'll have to give me the the, the um, script um, a couple of days in advance, as soon as it's ready. In other words, you know, you just can't send it to me the first day. And generally they say, well, we can't do that or we can't. So, and, and I've never been refused. They always say, oh, sure, fine. You know, and then they send it to me a couple of days in advance and I memorize and it's fine. So that was the only time ever in my uh, career where they just handed me new lines and it was a page on, when I showed up on the set. Um, uh, but I, we, I had told Breaking Bad that, uh, you, you know, if, if there's any, ch uh, that you have to give the five lines. I was talking about the five lines. I just said, well, if I do old Joe, you have to send me my part. I didn't say the five lines. I said, you have to send me the part a couple of days in advance, you know, and then they agreed and they did. They sent me the five lines way in advance, but that was not the problem. It's when I showed up and there was this long speech that was. <laughs> uh, so, so just to finish up uh, what happened, um, I improvised. Uh, I only did two takes. I did one take and then, uh, the guy didn't even blink. He, he didn't even ask me. He said, you, you're ready to go? And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, he didn't say, do, do you have the part memorized? He never said that. The director. I just showed up on the, you know, he said, the AD comes in. He said, Larry, you're up. It's time. I go, okay, man, let's just do this. See what happens. Um, he knew I couldn't memorize it. The AD. Because he was there when I said, holy shit, I can't remember this. Or you know, <laughs> when, when I first showed up. So he even asked me, he says, well, you're going to, did you get it memorized? And I said, well, we're going to see. That's what I said to him. I said, we're going to see. But then he didn't say, say anything. And then I showed up and the director says, well, you ready, Larry? Um, and I go, yeah. Yeah. He says, okay, get down there. We're going to do a walk and talk. Uh, I go, okay, yeah, fine. 
And he says, well, you know, just walk to the camera. He got me about 100 feet away from the camera, and I started to walk. You know, he said, just walk towards the camera and finish up your last line about, you know, five feet from the camera. Okay, fine. And he goes, okay, and action, Larry. And I just started improvising. I just started to make it up, you know. I mean, I had seen the script. I mean, I looked at it for two hours. So I, I, I figured I had the general gist of what was going on. I understood I had keep the cop out of there. I knew they were in there. So, you know, and I had been in the committee in Second City for 10 years. I mean, I knew how to improvise, but I hadn't improvised in about at least a year. So that's like a muscle, you know, it just atrophies, you know, you just, you practice and you get better. But, you know, I hadn't improvised in a, in a year. So I just started walking and talking. And first of all, the, the, the a, the script girl, the script woman, came up to me, and I, I all actors go up on their lines, so that's why the script girl is there. And then she comes up and she says, "Hey, you forgot this word and you left out this line." So they go, "Okay, let's do it again, and just make sure you say that that word and this this line." So I knew she, what she was going to say. She was going to say that I'd left out something or I said something wrong. But when she came up to me and she showed me the monologue in the, in the script, every sentence was circled. And she said, the director mm -hmm. wants to say it as verbatim as written. <laughs> I go, I want to talk to Vince, Vince Gilligan. And the script girl said, Vince is not here. Well, I want to talk to the writer then. And she said, the director wrote this. <laughs> not pleased at all. And then I hear the director yell, anything wrong, Larry? You know, from 100 feet back there by the camera. Anything wrong? No, no, it's okay. But the uh, script girl didn't say anything. So the director starts walking towards us. So that was a bad sign. When the director is going to walk 100 feet towards you, he ain't going to say anything good. So uh, I just waited and he came up to me and he said is there something wrong Larry? that's all he would say uh, through the this entire thing from the time i started this until i got in the limo and went home the that's all he said to me is, is there something wrong larry and, and i wouldn't i said no it's, it's fine so he wanted me to cop to it and I, I just wouldn't i just wouldn't so he came up to me and said is there something wrong Larry?" i said no he said, well, we're going to shoot it. Let's, let's just shoot it again then, okay? Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, I just, uh, and then he said, uh, and then the, the, the cameraman, the cinematographer, yelled from 100 feet away by the camera. Um, he said, Jerry, is something wrong? <laughs> checking to see what was wrong. It's me. I have dyslexia. saying that. Uh, so uh, he said, no, I'm going to just walk and talk with my actor. So basically what, what he was going to do, he's going to walk right beside me with the book. And I thought, oh, man, it's like kindergarten. This but I want them to either fire me or I'm going to keep improvising. I'm, I'm not going to cop to any of this. I just want to see what's going on. Now is a game for me. I'm, now I just want to see how they're going to handle this because I thought I could improvise it. I mean, it wasn't like I was trying to be fired. I thought I could do this if you just let me improvise it once or twice. I could do that. I mean, that was in the back of my mind was I don't have to memorize. <laughs> that was that was the 
the idiocy of my my logic in this situation was, yeah, I can do this if you just leave me alone and let me stay here for a couple of days. I can improvise it and you can. So anyway, he said, no, I'm going to walk and talk. So he walked and he talked. Uh, he walked alongside of me. He was about, I'd say, two feet off to my left. No, my right. Off to my right. And he walked and I, I, he said, okay, then let's just do this again. And I said, fine, let's just do this. And I started to improvise again. And I thought, um, he's got it in the can. When I got to the end of the first time where I just improvised it and I thought I was going to get fired when I finished, he just looked at me and he, without any malice or anything, he just said, that's good, Larry. Let's do it again. I mean, that was the only thing he said at the end of my first improvisation when I got to the end. I thought he was going to say, you're fired, man. <laughs> yeah, that was, I was, that was ready. I mean, in my mind, I had fired myself because of what I, what I was doing or what I was going to do. So I said, well, it's, I'm going to get fired. And okay, I'm fine. I, I, you know, this, they're not cutting off my arm. They're just firing me. It's, you know, just who cares? I mean, that's where I was at. So he said, no, let's just, I, I said, fine, let's do it again. And I thought, holy cow. I was convinced I had memorized it. That, that's what I thought when he said, fine, let's just do it again. I thought, wow, I improvised it. He's got it in the can. He wants me to do it again. Now I don't have to worry. So that, that's where my head was at, given what was given to me. You know, that's fine, Larry. Let's do it again. So I just started to do it again. I mean, then, you know, the script lady said, no, he wants it verbatim. And then he walks up and says, I'm going to walk with you. Now, I, so I don't know what was going on. I thought, well, you said it, the first one was okay. So I'm just going to do it again. So he walked. And then when I got to the end of it, I thought, well, now he's going to fire me because now he knows I'm just making this shit up. And all he said at the end of the thing, after walking with me with the script, his head buried in the script, I get to the end, and he yells, cut. And he says, okay, everybody, Larry's dismissed. Thank you very much, Larry. You know, and you get that little clap that all the actors get when they go, you know, Bobby is dismissed. Let's give him a hand. You know, Jerry is dismissed. Clint Eastwood is dismissed. Let's give him a hand. I mean, Larry is dismissed. Just whoever. That's what they do. It's just every set I've ever been at. And that's what he did. He said, thank you, Larry. Larry's dismissed. He shoved me in. No, he didn't shove me in. He just, uh, the limo pulled up because we were in the middle of a desert. They had to drive me back to civilization. Uh, limo pulled up. I got in the limo and I drove home and I waited two weeks to find out what the hell just happened. You know, that's Breaking Bad. That's a huge show. I mean, I just, either I made a fool of them or they made a fool of me. Or, or I just got fired and they didn't know it. I, what, I, I didn't see how anything could work. If, if what was true is that he wanted it verbatim and I improvised it, and now he just sent me home. What are they going to do? Well, when I watched it, what they did was they just took my improvisation, which was legalese bent. I mean, I, I was keeping it in the ballpark of legal stuff. So I was just using every legal trope or ridiculous turn of phrase I could think of to to keep it in that legal, you can't go in there. What they did was they just took my two improvisations and they uh, edited it together into a, a monologue. And then they played it as a voiceover. And whenever I said something cogent, which was three times, where in other words, I was saying something that was totally correct in the right order. One <laughs> sentence, they did that three times where they cut to me so they, that, that it wasn't just my voiceover. 
Uh, and that was uh, three seconds each. Three se I timed it. I watched it. I timed it with a stopwatch. Every time they cut to me, I had three seconds, two to three seconds of, of a line that I said that was correct. Uh, and they cut to me three times. The rest was cobbled together of my improvisation, which worked. I mean, it was totally correct legalese, just wasn't what was written, uh, to keep him out of the Winnebago. And uh, if you listen carefully to the scene, the voice, the voiceover, it's me talking, and you can tell that that's nothing that Vince Gilligan or, the, or this director ever wrote. It was just really out there legalese, but it worked. you know. And then if I said something that was really weird that didn't fit, but they needed it just to, for the time that the scene had to run, uh, they would just cut to me saying something you know, that I had improvised that didn't fit, but they toned it down and let whoever was speaking come above it. So you couldn't really tell it didn't apply, but it was my voice and you can just get, you know, in the background. Uh, but that was, the, the, but mainly it was just me improvising and that's the true um, legal terms to keep them, the, the cop out of there. Yeah, it was an adventure. And then I just, I asked my friends, I said, did you watch the show? They go, yeah, yeah, you, you were great. I go, yeah. What about the Winnebago scene? What did you see in that? Oh, you were walking and talking and, and keeping the cop out of the Winnebago. I said, you know, well, that's not what you saw. What did you see? You were walking and talking. And I said, no, man, I was on, I was on, I timed it nine seconds. It was, it was just, it was my, my voiceover that you would picture me talking, but it wasn't me. The, the scene, I believe, is three minutes, and I was on for nine seconds. The rest is just the voiceover. It's amazing. It's amazing. So the voiceover gives it that feel that you're actually on screen a lot longer. So say, say that again. What, what was so so that, that vo having that voiceover makes it seem like you're on screen actually yeah, a lot yeah. longer. So in other words, yeah, what I learned about that, I, I learned a very good thing because I make my own films, and that taught me a, a really big lesson, a very positive lesson that um, uh, that sound in, in movies, sound uh, covers a picture. You would think it would be the opposite way, but that's not true. In, in other words, um, if, if I'm talking and, and the camera is on you, you, in memory, not, not in visual, if, you, if you're sitting there watching, you're, you're hearing my voiceover and but but the camera is on you listening to me. So you hear my voice and you see you. But in memory, if I say, with that scene, you know, Danny, uh, what was going on? Well, you were talking and Danny was listening. Well, was I on camera and how long was Danny on camera? I don't know. Maybe, you know, Danny was on maybe a little more than you, but it was it was you and Danny uh, on, on screen. Yeah, yeah, you and Danny. That That's not true. But, but that's what people picture. They, it's, it's weird. Movies is magic. That was the name of my uh, friend's production company, Movies is Magic Productions. And, and that was a great lesson about what sound does and how you can manipulate, you know, narrative, how you can manipulate narrative by where you really want the audience's focus to be if you don't have, all the equipment to manipulate it the way you want. You can work with sound and picture and 
very odd uh, ways. Uh, that, that, and I've used it in, in many thing, you know, film shows that I've done. You know, you it's, like a magician, it's like a magician, you know, where he he uh, he 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 fools your eyes to go somewhere else while he you know puts the rabbit in his hat. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Well, the, the same thing with editing. You, you can fool people and 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 uh, and fuck with their attention, <laughs> basically. Oh, yeah. Movie magic. <laughs> Movie you magic. were talking about the the junkyard. Is that yeah. a real junkyard or yeah, is that real junkyard in the middle of the desert out in uh, in New Mexico? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, it's a Five minute drive. To get out there, and you and you and you just all all you see is just desert, you know, or scruff, or it's just nothing for forty five minutes, and then all of a sudden on the horizon you see this junkyard. It just <laughs> it looks like something out of Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> it's really weird. After the TV show, it has to be one of the most famous junkyards in in the country. I'm sure. Like, oh, I'm. I'm well, I guess now, but I mean, yeah, but, but up until then, no, I you know, I don't think anybody even knew about it because it's a, it's a huge. There are a lot of good things to say about a junkyard. So. Uh, yeah, right. But it's, it's an amazing junkyard in that it's a metal junkyard. I mean, it's not just garbage. It's cars and trucks and motors and engines and axles and refrigerators and all destroyed, all you know, everything looks like it was dropped from a hundred-story building. It just mashed up, and the pile and the piles go about two or three stories high. It's just piles of metal, and they have this that huge magnet that uh, in another episode I sold to uh, um, uh, Brian and Aaron, so they could uh, degloss, de de gross, degloss, de. Deglaze, <laughs> what is it called? Deglossing, De you know what I'm talking about? Where you can wipe off a, a magnetic uh, soundtrack uh, by a, with a magnet to a tape. It's I know what you're yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's called. Well, I, I they had a they had a huge magnet that was in the show Breaking Bad that the junkyard dealer sold to uh brian cranston it was huge but it but it was there it was real and and um they were working while we were also shooting i mean they would stop for a second while we rolled camera but no he was this this magnet was picking up cars just just by its magnet it was amazing or or just a whole bunch of you know just flotsam and metal jetsam you know uh, but it, it was amazing to see just a magnet, you know, no, no grasping, no, no claw, just this magnet would just sit on the top of the car and he turned the electricity on and the car would just, and he would just pick it up and throw it somewhere. It was amazing. <laughs> Almost as much fun as making a movie, just watching that thing go. So I got a question for you on kind of the the business questions side. Of I can't answer questions. Um, questions. All right. Questions. <laughs> but you've been on a, a work on a ton of TV shows through the you yeah. know late seventies, eighties, nineties, for a lot of big shows. 
and obviously different networks. Is there um, do different networks pay differently? Do different shows pay better than other shows? Like, on, no, on that side, no, it's, because it's not the shows. It's not the uh, production companies. It's it's SAG-AFTRA. They're the ones. It's the unions that set or say what you can pay somebody. So, no, it's if you do oh, a okay. sitcom for Columbia or for you know Warner Brothers, it's the same contract. Okay, gotcha. Standard. Everything is standard. I mean, you can, no. but then you can negotiate prices. But I mean, there's a there's a, a floor, there's a bottom, there's a, a minimum that you can't, you know. And then you can negotiate more, you know, all the way a billion dollars, sure. But you can't go below, you know, forty cents or something. So, so that keeps it. So ideally, that's supposed to help keep you from being underpaid. Oh yeah, yeah. Because actors will, you know, any artist will will do their art, uh, you know, and starve. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I work for free. That, but that you can't. I can't let them know that. Here's the way I break it down. I I work for free. You hire me for a movie, and I will work for you for free. What you are paying me for is that my time not working until my next gig after you. That's the way I think about it. Okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah. That, that's a great. That's a good perspective. Yeah. So, yeah. And it comes from. Man, I just want to work. I'm an I'm an actor, and you have the camera, and you have the set, and and you have the lights. I, I need you. You know, it's just like an actor who needs a stage. I need the the theater, but I can build a stage, or I can, you know, I can busk. You know, if you're standing on line, I can just perform for you on the sidewalk. But I can't make a movie on the sidewalk without a camera, and and if you want to. I'll work for free uh, because I want to work and I, and I can't get a camera or I can buy a camera. Now, now I can. Back in the day when I started, no, I couldn't. You know, it was either a Panaflex or, or, a, or a Kodak instant, instant you know. Uh, but now I can buy a camera. So the, 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 it's a, it shifted a little. I can make my own film. But back then, no, it was I would work for uh, for very little money. That that's why the union started. I mean, actors would work for anything. You know, it's just I, I want to act like a painter. You know, he needs his oil. He needs his canvas. You know, like 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 a hockey player needs a fucking rink, man. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, you know, you did Breaking Bad with Brian Cranston, and you all did Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, Do you. Do you have a friendship with him? Do you guys stay in contact? I have a friendship with him, but only because of Breaking Bad. Neither of us knew the other one had done the other show. We had done two oh, shows. Oh, really? <laughs> no, it never came up even. I, I didn't know it until, you know, a year or two after. I don't see. I don't follow me. You know? Yeah. So I found out, I find out all the information about me that I need to know from doing podcasts. From, from you guys. <laughs> well, really, hopefully we can help there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, there's there's so much I've learned from doing about myself and my and my history. I never knew I did that many shows. 
I never, you know, I, you know, I don't remember unless somebody asks me what shows I started to do in television. I, you know, you don't walk around thinking about that. I just, I'm trying to think about my next job. You know, where, where am I going to get my next job? Or where am I going to get my next paycheck? Or what's going to be my next project for me? You know, well, well, what's my next film short going to be? What's my next painting going to be? You know, or, or what am I going to do tomorrow? So back then, you weren't really following, like, what was really popular. You just wanted to film, you know. It, so at the time, I guess what I'm saying is you weren't watching Malcolm in the Middle then. At the you time, know, I was watching what? I, I, I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, at the time when Malcolm in the Middle came out, you were part right. of the TV show. You weren't really following that TV series. That wasn't something you oh, were watching. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't even watching television back then. <laughs> no, I'm serious, man. I, you know, I was, I was either, I was in the committee. I think I was that in the '60s or '70s. Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. No, that was in 2003. That was the show you and Brian Cranston did together. Before uh, Breaking Bad. Right. Well, no. Well, whatever I was doing, I, I wasn't paying any attention. I, I, first of all, I never even watched Malcolm in the Middle, ever. I don't watch <laughs> no, I, I, I don't watch shows. I, I have a whole other life that nobody knows about. That has nothing to do with show business at all in any way. Um, I, I don't consider myself an actor. I, see, that's the thing. There's, there's the nub of why I don't follow me or I find out about myself doing podcasts. Acting terms. I don't. It's, I never dreamed of being an actor. I never wanted to be an actor. I still don't want to be an actor. I. I mean, it's <laughs> great. And I, I like doing it, but you know, I. I like eating ice cream. You know. <laughs> you know, I'm not an, a professional ice cream eater. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just something I like doing. You know, making up a character and then. Uh, saying just a few words that somebody else writ, wrote. Uh, well, I, I, like, I like saying my lines a lot. You know, I like making my movies. I like writing things that I can memorize for me. But I think of myself as a stand-up comedian, so... That's uh, what I was going to ask you, is do you feel like making people laugh is more valuable than putting out a movie or a TV show? You know, being able to get on stage or act you know, in something. Me talking to a large group of people is where I'm at. Yeah. And if they laugh, that's the cherry on the cake. But I just want to talk to you guys or anybody. I mean, that that's, in other words, like a musician likes to play music and an actor likes to act. My acts is, is the oral art. I get up on stage and I talk and people laugh. I don't write. I never did ever write. That's why I was good at improvising. And that's why I said I would improvise that part on Breaking Bad. Is I When I was a stand-up comedian, I was a highly successful. And I was opening for Woody Allen and Miles Davis and Ian and Sylvia and Eleven Spoonful on the Blues Project. And just all these famous people and big-time people. I was opening for them. I played the Playboy Clubs. You know, I was a stand-up comedian. And in all that time, 
uh, well, it was two years. I just I started as a stand-up, worked for two years for opening for Woody Allen all over the country, and then um, the two years were up, and then I decided uh, I was into critical thinking. I was doing Richie Pryor stuff, Carlin stuff, Lenny Bruce stuff, Mom's Mabley stuff, and um, uh, the cops were pulling me off just like Lenny. Uh, and I just didn't like it. I mean, I, I, that's not why I'm here. But I never wrote anything. In all those two years that I was opening for all those cool people, I never wrote a word. I would get up on stage. My writing uh, was my first two minutes. I had a hunk. You know, I was doing open mic nights. So I worked out. I had a two or three, I guess three or four, three-minute hunks that I, I worked on. For open mic night, you get up there and you do three minutes. So I would get get three minutes, worked on it for about, you know, a couple of weeks. I'd get three minutes. Okay. Another three minutes, worked on a couple of weeks, another three minutes. Got about 10 minutes and then I would start auditioning to open for, you know, in nightclubs and I got a manager. But once I had those 10 minutes, in other words, that was my my, my core of, of, of laugh, funny stuff that I'd made up never wrote but made up and worked on and then i would my the first three minutes two to three minutes of my act ladies and gentlemen larry hankin funny comedian and i would get up and my first two minutes i would just talk about my day i i, I didn't care if i got a laugh or not i would just <laughs> and the, because it was two minutes because the audience would put up with this you know larry hankin funny guy so far just talking for two two minutes not, not one laugh. Um, the reason I could do that was because I knew I had a great opener, funny stuff, from when my two minutes were up, which was kind of in my head. I never had a clock. But I just would talk until I see, well, their, their, their interest is starting to wane. They've given me their attention. I haven't made them laugh. I better make them laugh now. And then I would hit them with my best stuff to <laughs> open with. You know, okay, but generally, you know, basically a funny guy, just like any other comedian is. I mean, they have some kind of humor in them. Um, you know, I could get a couple of laughs in the first two or three minutes. And the my gift is, I think it's all comedians gift is, you remember laughs and you forget the setups or what didn't get a laugh. Now, that's automatic in me, and I think it's automatic in all comedians, but I don't know about them. I just know about me. I have a talent, and it's really weird, and I never questioned it. I never inspected it. I never – I don't think about it too much. I will do a set. I'll get up and talk for three or four minutes. The next night, I can get up and just tell the funny stuff. Never wrote it down. Never try to remember it. Never try to memorize it. I talked to you for 10 minutes, for three minutes. You laughed a couple of times, you know, and just random stuff that I'm talking about. But the next night when I would get up on a stage, I could now cut out all the stuff that you, nobody laughed at and just remember. And, and I, that was just a, a miracle that I never questioned. I don't know. And I think I do believe comedians have that. I mean, that's why they're funny. And that's how they can, you know, work on stuff. You know, they may write it down. You know, like writing a, a, a monologue. But then they'll do the monologue and then they have to work on that. And the working on it is you, you, that's, you're finished with the writing. 
you just remember what the audience laughed at in this stuff that I wrote last night. But now I'm going to just do it and see what they laugh at that works that I can just do alone. And basically you just forget stuff that doesn't get a laugh. And I, you know what it is? I think, you know, memory works uh, on a lot of things, but a lot of things it works on is emotional input. In other words, if you nearly get killed by a car, you know, walking across the street, the next That's time you walk walk across the street, you look both ways, right? Now, you didn't yeah. think about that, but okay, that is a commitment to memory by emotional means. The fear just welded that into your, you know, your memory. Well, I believe that laughter, me hearing laughter, is a small, or any comedian, is a small emotional hit. You know, like I get a little... Uh, not adrenaline, but a little dopamine, just a uh, little, little shot of dopamine. Uh, I, I think that's what the runners call it, you know, that, that energy boost you get from a oh, high. Yeah, there's, there's a high when you start making people laugh. And Yeah, and, and, that, and, that, and that high is a thing that nails it to your memory without you doing anything, just like almost being hit by a car, and the next time you're crossing a street, you look both ways. You know, you didn't think about it. You just did it. And that's hardwired now. You know, when you cross the street, chances are you're going to look both ways. Uh, but you didn't think about writing it down or trying to memorize it. The danger and the laughter just hardwires it. So I think I, I have a lot of that. So that's what kept me from, that's what kept me in the big time, you know, opening for Woody is because now, I, could, I never had a right. Now you uh, you recently got a, a good response and some good laughs out of the crowd um, on the Friends reunion. Now you see, there's a, there's a okay. Tell me about that. See, <laughs> tell me about that. What 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 are you talking about? I didn't want to do it. Um, I, I, yeah. I thought it was demeaning the way they they were handling people. The product that's not the producers of Friends. That's Friends sold that a long time ago for millions of dollars. They were just looking for money. The producers of the reunion. And they treated yeah. most of the people. So I didn't watch. I had nothing to do with it. So I would like to know what, what, what you're talking about. No, no. Like, honestly, it, as far as I'm uh, as a spectator, in that story, I, I thought it was really entertaining. They, okay. they did a good oh. job bringing each of the characters kind of back in your character. Um uh, they have Mr. Heckles come in. They're why the, the the main cast were were there on stage and okay. Um, uh, uh, okay, drop a line or two. I can't. I don't remember exactly what. Got no, no, Okay, I can answer your question. Um, I didn't want to do it. First of all, I mean they were very rude. They're very rude people. So that that's why I just didn't want to do it. Uh, just because of their attitude. I don't know if there was an attitude to everybody. It was towards me, really. I mean, uh, and, and I'm not trying to be uppity. I mean, it's just a certain, I mean, I don't know you guys. I don't know, Danny, I don't know you. But you're nice. <laughs> uh, you're talking to me. I'm talking to you. There's no enmity between us. We're just, you know, for, for this broadcast, we're friends. We're talking on the phone. Okay. Well, that's all I expect from anybody. You know, I mean, you, you you want me to do your, your show, and I'm doing your show, and it's, it's really cool. 
Okay, well, that's when, when somebody calls me and says, hey, you want to do a reunion? I expect the same thing as, as I got oh, from yeah. Daisy. That's all. And they don't, they don't, they didn't do that. They talked to me like I was, uh, that they were doing me a favor by maybe letting me come on among all the big stars that were on. But, you know, well, for some reason... We're gonna we're gonna let you come on. They didn't let me talk to anybody. They didn't give me anything to say. They didn't tell me what I was gonna get. They didn't talk to me like a human being. They were rude, literally. See that, that that's too bad because honestly, as somebody watching it, that was, to me was one of the coolest things with some of the the um, the smaller characters that they brought back, um, and some of the little ways that they did that. Honestly, that was one of the best parts about the show. So that's really disappointing to hear that they, you know, didn't treat you right because the, really, like I said, well, that, that was one of the biggest, best hooks did, of, of the reunion. Did you enjoy being a part of the show originally when it was on in the 90s? No, no. I, I, I never liked the part. I never watched the show. Um, but here's, the, here's the, the, the thing about the reunion, which I'm trying to get to. And that is that I didn't watch it. But I had some friends either tell me, just like you just told me, or somebody so showed me a clip of my entrance and exit, yeah, just that, that, that part of the show. So I saw me and what I did and what you're talking about. But the difference is, and everybody liked what I did. And, and look, I, I don't like to be on camera and be bad. So I'll do my best if there's a camera pointed at me. It's just it's just an instinct I have. I, I don't even control that, but I just want to be good. You know, nobody wants to be bad. So, you know, oh, yeah. I don't like the way they were treating me, but when I watched it, it worked. And all my friends said the same thing you did. I liked that part of the show. My favorite part of the show was Mr. Heckles. They said, now, of course they were talking to me. So they're not going to say, Larry, you were terrible. <laughs> I, understand, I understand that. They're my friends, but here's what I did that was interpreted in two ways and I hoped it would, and I guess it worked. This is what was going through my mind. Oh, you people are, I didn't want to be there. They wouldn't let me leave my dressing room. They kept me locked in my dressing room. I said, can I go downstairs and watch the show? You know, no, just stay in your dressing room. Okay, Jesus Christ. So I had to stay in my dressing room the entire time. I don't know what was going on, you know, okay. So, um, but when I went downstairs, I said, okay, now what's the thing? Because I was angry. And so I didn't want to show that. I mean, I'm trying to stay in character. I have Mr. Heckles. I hadn't done Mr. Heckles in at least 20 years, I believe. I don't know when I did that. But it was a long time. So I'm trying to remember what the, what was my motivation for this character? What was the, what, what did I used to say? I don't want to blow the character. I, you know, I don't want to disrespect Mr. Heckles. See, I respect my characters. I really do. And I don't want to disrespect the work that I had done on the show. So, so what can I do? Because I'm really angry now. Now, Mr. Heckles was kind of rude to people. And I thought, well, that's part of the anger. So let me see if I can just, you know, concentrate on, on their rudeness and have that be Mr. Heckles. So that's what I went out doing. Now, when I walked out, uh, I, I had that in mind. So I was scowling. 
But there was an audience there, which they had me rehearse for camera once, but they just let me out of my dressing room, rehearsed for the camera, and then sent me back to my dressing room. And there was nobody else rehearsing, so I didn't see what was going on. But I, re I remember, I, this is the length of time, but there was no audience when I rehearsed. So when I walked out to do the show, there was an audience and there was spontaneous applause. You know, as I walked out, they recognized Mr. Heckles and they applauded. And that kind of threw me because I had to read a line. So if you see, if you watch my arm, you don't see my hand, but my arm is going up and down and I have this scowl on my face. And what my hand was doing was I was waving towards the bleachers and I was waving them down. I was saying, shut the fuck up and let me see <laughs> the phone. And what was going through my mind was shut the fuck up. Let me say my line and go home. Shut up. Stop clapping. And that look was on my face. And since they didn't show my hand or the audience, it read perfectly as Mr. Heckles. That was <laughs> going on and so what i saw when i showed the, when they showed me in the clip is well i'm angry at the audience what is that's that's terrible and all my friends said no we love mr heckles that was so cool and they said i didn't even look like mr heckles no you looked exactly like mr heckles yeah <laughs> see but so so that was another thing i learned that what's going on inside of me larry hankin has nothing to do with you, the audience, are seeing. What you're seeing is the narrative that has been set up in your mind as to who you're seeing. You haven't, you know, you're, you're seeing either Chandler, that's in your mind, that's really an actor, but no, you see Chandler. Yeah. I was really pissed off, but you saw Mr. Heckles. You see the difference? There is no difference, but there's a total difference. Oh yeah. Hey Larry, I'll just tell you, uh, you're way cooler than Chandler. So <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So you now he's a good guy, you know. Uh yeah, they wouldn't even let me talk to any of this the the, the, the regular now, now, now I, is ah. that because of the producers? Is the producers not let you talk to them, or is that because these guys have such big egos now? Have such what notes? What's that? Is it because of their egos that you're not allowed to talk to them, or is that the producer saying you can't talk to them? Oh, oh, no, no, it's no, it's it's totally the producers. If you look, there is a picture I have. It. It's a great picture. It's I, I would love to get a, an original of, of the picture. It's out there. Uh, it's on Facebook. It's on my Facebook page. It's it was taken off the screen, so it's it's part of the. Re reunion. It's a picture of exactly what I was describing to you. It's a close-up. It's, it's Mr. Heckles in the foreground. It's taken from the audience's point of view or, or from the camera's point of view. Uh, it's a past Mr. Heckles. I'm looking. I got the scowl on my face. You can't see my hand, but my arm is out and it goes off frame. But in the background, you can see the entire cast looking at Mr. Heckles and laughing and smiling. Uh, and it's a great picture of, for me, just for, for Larry, for, for, for Mr. Heckles and the cast. It's a great yeah. message of what the cast, 
what, what the real cast thought of the character uh, of Mr. Heckles. Now, I didn't get along with the cast at all when I was shooting. I shot five times. I shot five shows. I never talked to any of them. They were always huddled up. Not that they were uppity or, or, or ego. They, they just uh, had other things to do. You know, it was just true. They did. Now, so, were you actually on the episode that they killed you, your character off in? Uh, I, I don't, I know, I know because I think it was the next thing. I, I was on five and, and, you know, I was hoping for six because that changes, you know, your page, your pay scale. So I did five and uh, I was alive on the fifth one. I remember seeing, <laughs> I remember watching the show and seeing them uh, on a gurney take Mr. Heckles out of his apartment. I remember seeing that, sitting at home and seeing that. But I don't so, remember if I was on the set. So probably they had, you know, a die the next one where you didn't see me. You just saw a body taken out. So with that, with one more episode of putting, uh, doing Mr. Heckles, putting you in a different pay scale, did that piss you off that they killed your oh, character? Oh, man, are you kidding? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I went to the real producers and I, 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 Ripped him another asshole. <laughs> is that exactly yeah, what happened, Larry? I'm sure you gave him a good one. Sure. I did it in front of everybody. I mean, oh, I couldn't right. control myself. It's not like I planned it. I just saw them. I just walked right over to them and I just let them have it, man. Uh, how? Why did you kill my character? Why did you do that? Well, you know, are you one more? You couldn't get one more? You, you people are, you know, and then the, I was shouting at the top of my, I was, I was angry, man. I was really pissed, man. The way they, you know, it was just awful. Uh, the way they treated that character and that I had to do that character. It was brilliantly written. I mean, so. Uh, honestly, so that character could have stayed on there for years. They should have done a series of that character, man. That was brilliant. No, I didn't write it. They did. So I'm giving them their props, man. Whoever wrote that character five times, they wrote it, you know, five different episodes. So they, there was a consistency there to the character. So mm -hmm. it was brilliantly written. And I just did it as written. I got, you know, any, any ideas I got from the page. So, but, you know, they they were just terrible people. <laughs> the three producers were just, I, and I think the the woman, and I, you know, I mean, she's probably listening to the show right now, and I'll sell, tell it to her face. She's a terrible, <laughs> a really terrible person. It, it is. Uh, a big deal. She perfectly owns Hollywood right now. Well, it, that's oh, what really? I was going to say. It is. It, it's sad that they went out of their way to kind of fuck you over like that. Being that this show has literally made people billionaires. You know, and they, they, I mean, that's just slimy Hollywood bullshit when you really think about yeah, it. That, yeah. you know, one more episode could have meant the world to you. And, oh, yeah. You know, instead, you know, they, they knifed you in the back. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that's why I got angry. And that's why I unloaded uh, in front uh, at them in, in front of approximately 100 people who just like shut up and just stared. Now, yeah. It, in your experience now with, you know, other actors, do you, is that kind of common practice that they do with TV shows to avoid uh, actors getting up into that next pay scale? No, no, no. 
It's not, it's not, it's just, that's what they did. I mean, it has nothing to do with any other show or any other, uh, you know, I mean, there's stuff going on. There's good stuff going on too. There's great stuff going on, you know, and then that's just, I mean, I just happened to be in a, in a situation where it happened to me, but I'm not saying that every actor gets that kind of treatment. I'm not saying that no actors get that kind of treatment. It's just random, your, your, your treatment. People are basically, you know, 90% of humanity is really good, good homo sapiens. And 10% of humanity is going to bring the rest of us down, man. <laughs> I mean, but the 10% are really assholes. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Putin and people who <laughs> steal your car and people who shoot people. I'm talking about humanity, man. You know, it's we're in tough times right now. And and plus, you know, global warming. It doesn't look good for homo sapiens, I'm just saying. <laughs> Never no. mind being an actor. <laughs> That's small change. You know, we don't want to eat up too much of your time today, Larry, but we got two subjects we definitely got to talk about real quick. And uh that is, what was your experience with Seinfeld like? Um, well, uh, no, that was great because, uh, again, nobody talked to me and I didn't talk to anybody much, but that's generally how sitcoms are. I mean, these people have worked together for seven, eight years, and you're a one, one-off. In my case, I, I did two shows. But, but it's still the same. I mean, you can't be friends with every person that comes through you know you're you're on for hundreds of weeks and this person comes on for one day you, you, you know you, you can't be best buddies with everybody who comes through uh, and i understand that and and so i've done enough tv and movies to know that you know the crews work together every day and i'm just there for one day i, mean, I don't expect any respect i don't even expect anything but to be treated with disrespect, that's rare, but it happens, and I take umbrage at it, you know, and I'll let you know it, you know. Yeah, yeah that's you all. had a you had an interesting role on there though, because you played a a character within a show on the show. <laughs> yeah, but it was great, and that was great as a, a challenge as an actor. That's really cool that I had to consider all that. That I'm a character that's playing a character within a show, and. Um, again, it was really, uh, Larry David is a great comedy, comic writer. So I had no, I had nothing but great things to say about the writing of that character, uh, Tom Pepper. Uh, so, so whatever was going on on the set takes second place to my attitude towards my character. The first obligation of an actor is protect your character stand up for your character don't take any shit about your character you know uh and so as long as everybody respects my character i don't care what you say to me you know i'm trying to do the best job i can for the story with my character and everybody there respected my character and when i say respect i just did they, they just didn't give me any crap that's respect I mean, nobody came up to me and said, "Ooh, what a great character." No, they just dealt with me like like a normal actor. That to me is respect, just a normal so, human being. And and I, 
always respected and looked up to and were fans of pretty much everybody on that show. I was a fan of Michael Richards. I, I was a fan of Costanza. I mean, their acting was great. You know, I That's learned from watching that show. Friends, they were all good. The writing was spectacular, but I didn't read, learn much from any of them except Monica, the, the actress who played Monica, uh, the, the ditzy one, right? That Monica? Uh, uh, Lisa Kudrow was uh, yeah. uh, the ditzy Lisa one. Kudrow was a master comedian. Yeah. She was up there with Lucille Ball. Are you kidding? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. So, she was. She is funny. She yeah. just put out a new anime. A great actress, comic actress. Again, no question about it. But so you know, but but everybody on on uh, on Seinfeld, I mean, are, are masters of their character. They did so, very well. I mean, so I was just learning. I, 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 you know, what shuts me up is quality. If I'm around somebody who's good, man, I shut up and I just absorb. I become a sponge. You know, you don't have to pay any attention to me. I'm on you. That's it. You know, when I was working with Clint Eastwood, man, that's all I did was pay attention to Clint Eastwood. You know, I, I didn't talk much to him, but I followed him around like a puppy. I mean, he, he got used to me. But I, I mean, that guy has a lot to teach me. And I knew it and I wasn't going to let the chance go by. You know, so I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not a stupid person. I I'm willing to learn because uh, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm not an actor, so I, I stand in awe of certain people. I stand in awe of uh, like, for instance, I mean, which is a fan, you know. But I I don't like to say fan because I have fans, and that's not what I want to be. If 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 a a fan of mine is what we're talking about when we talk about fans, no, that's not what I'm talking about. No, I mean, no, they, they, oh, we love you. No, no, it's it's not that. It's not that, you know. Oh, 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 great, great, great. No, it's not that. Yeah. It's, um, it's how Clint Eastwood approaches his role and who he is when he goes off camera and then when he walks on camera. Same thing with like uh, I watched. Uh, it was a documentary, but at least I watched it. Uh oh, 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 oh. I got to turn this off. Oh, wait. Can I turn this off? Yikes. All right, I gotta just hang up. Jim, I gotta hang up. I can't talk now. Bye. Okay, done. <laughs> That's crazy, man. I couldn't shut my phone off. It didn't ring for you guys, or I couldn't shut it off because I'm on the air. What the heck? It's, it's all good, Larry. No big deal, buddy. It's easy, but I, I was about, about learning. I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about. When I, when I say I follow, I like to learn. That's what I like to do. That, and stand and be a stand-up comedian and make people laugh. But I like absorbing good stuff, you know. That's why so, I, I love going on the set, you know. Is the, the crew and everybody's professional, man. I just dig it. They got the so shit when you, together right here. When you did that Tom Pepper character on Seinfeld, did you yeah. already know the show and know, like, you know, the Kramer character. Watch that. There's very few things that I would watch, but yes, I watched Seinfeld. Like the, and, and, and then Michael, I knew Michael. Michael was a friend of mine. We knew Michael and I have been going to auditions years before Seinfeld was ever a twinkle in any writer's eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we were, because we, we look alike. We look like brothers. One time we were cast as brothers 
who robbed a, a restaurant. Uh, so, I mean, that's how close we were, that we were cast. Really? What was that? Do you remember? Uh, it was a sitcom yeah. based on a restaurant. I don't know. It was, it was on for about <laughs> years. And we, we were hired to be brothers. So, you know, and we would fight over what was funny. I mean, that, that was the thing. We we didn't like each other's humor, but we, we liked each other. We, we knew each other was funny, and we, we made each other laugh. But when we did that sitcom where we played brothers – we had to rob a restaurant, and that we did, and that was fine. And we we, we talked about it, you know, how, you, how we were going to rob it and stuff like that. But then we had to do an escape scene where we were riding away. We were escaping in a truck, and that was on a set, you know, with a green screen behind, and they were just shooting through the front windshield. So you saw the green screen behind the rear window of the truck. Uh, so they were just shooting it. It's just a two-shot. And so we had to rehearse. Uh, so we went over to the truck set. It was not in front of an audience. Uh, and so we, we sat in, in this truck cab and we started to rehearse this little scene. And I have always wished that there was a camera to re record me and, and Michael Richards rehearsing a comedy scene together because it was just discombobulation. Uh, it, I mean, he likes to go over the top and I like to go under. That's why I could never do, that's why he was hired as Kramer, not me. We were up for the same <laughs> because he would come through the door. You know, that's like an over the top entrance, right? Oh, oh that's a signature for sure. That's a signature, right. Yeah. And when I would come through the door, I would just come through the door. Yeah. But that was a difference. It wasn't a difference in him trying to get a laugh and me trying to get a laugh. It was how he would come through the door as Kramer and how I would come through the door like Kramer. So it was just a, two different choices. So we were in the cab of that truck. That was what was going on. He would say, oh, and we were also trying to direct each other because there was no director around, it was just me and him. So, he, you know, it would go like this. It would go like, you know, say I would speak first, you know, say, okay, so when you say that, well, you know, uh, why don't you do this? And then I can say that and I'll do it. He said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No. So you say you do this, then say that. So I can do this. So, well, no, no, I don't want to say it that way. Or do you, no, but I don't want to do that. No, but I don't want to do that. No, but I don't want to say that. No. And it was just, so finally we had just had to stop uh, rehearsing. We had to, all right, it's not working. <laughs> So we just went to the director and the director said, okay, we're, we're up for your scene. You guys rehearse it. And we both said, yeah. <laughs> that was all. <laughs> yeah, we rehearsed it. So, okay, well, let's just do it. So we started to do it. Now we hadn't spoken since we left, you know, rehearsal. Let's not rehearse anymore. It is too much argument. So when we get in the cab and they say, well, do you guys come, guys come up with anything? And we said, yeah. So we try to work through just do it once for the director, but neither one of us, we were fighting. I, I mean, we were doing the lines, but neither one wanted to give the other person the, the line, the way, or the action <laughs> way that would, so it was just like kind of very stiff. And so the directors, you know, was very disappointed because he knew he had two funny guys, but when he watched the scene, it was, he was expecting something. You know, and we would work out some funny shit. 
And he was kind of disappointed because he said, all right, all right, all right, let's, let's just cut. All right, let's just do it as written, okay? <laughs> let's, just, let's just, just you know, I'll direct you. So we rehearsed it once or twice, and then he just shot it. So in other words, but we were still friends, you know, after, after we finished shooting the scene, you know, I was talking and hang for a little while. But that, that was what, uh, on stage, yeah, we have two separate senses of humor. That, that's all. But his humor, I would laugh at. It's just I can't do it. And, and he laughs at my humor, but he, he doesn't choose it. The best oh, no, now what? Holy stuff. Electronics are going on all over the place. You got a yeah. poltergeist going on over there. Yeah. I think, holy cow, you guys are, are you guys haunting me? I, I hope not. I hope this isn't our fault. <laughs> We're calling uh, from a but anyway, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, that, that was just Michael Richards. But everybody else, Seinfeld is a great writer. He's a great actor for what he was doing. He's a great creative guy. But I didn't talk to any of them. They kind of huddled up. As all, see, if you if it was one sitcom, you know, you might, I, I might get a little, I, I don't understand what's going on. But no, I've done enough movies and TV sitcoms to know that all the regulars always after each shot, and, you, and you're just, a, you know, you're here for the week, they huddle up. They they just you know okay and cut and then they'll either go to their dressing rooms and hang until they're needed again, or they talk to each other, you know. And then every once in a while, man, you know, the star they'll talk to the star. But no, they they know each other, they, you know. And you're here for a day, you know. They'll say they're very gracious, you know. Most people are. Most most just people are gracious. They're just ordinary people. And that's what, and before the camera rolls, everybody's just ordinary people. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, uh, we're going to shoot this one. And then you get in your place and now you're not just ordinary people. Now you're an actor and you got to get your shit together and you got to hit your marks and remember your lines, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, but I'm used to that ritual and everybody who does sitcoms a lot, you find that because you're doing it week after week with the same people, you know, the, the hundred same people, crew and actors, and the few new people. So you ritualize your day just so it's, it becomes habit. And so you don't talk to everybody all the time. I understand that. But some people, every once in a while, they're just a little rude and they need to <laughs> pull them aside and talk to them and say, hey, man, back off. <laughs> But, you know, I've, I've done it very rarely, you know, maybe only three or four times in my entire life. But it happens, you know. So you were also a part of Star Trek, which I will be honest, Larry, I'm not a fan of Star Trek. I, I'm a fan of you, but not a fan of the show. It missed, it missed the mark on me a little bit. How many people remember you from Star Trek, being that their fan base is pretty loyal? You know, they're a loyal group of people. Well, I don't hear much from them because I'm so random. Uh, I've done like three, uh, three or four. Let's see, one, two. Uh, I've done at least two that I. You did the Next Generation, and then the um. Oh, what was the other one? Um. Uh, wasn't it Voyager? Yeah, Voyager. That was the one. I was... Voyager. 
Uh, well, yeah. I'll tell you the roles I played. I don't know what the name of the shows were, but I played Gaunt Gary and Wind Dancer. Does that say anything about that? <laughs> what, what, uh, what, what's so funny? Wind, 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 wind Dancer. dancer. <laughs> Do you know that character? Do you, I, I mean, you, you know what it is? No, but on paper, it leaves the imagination. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah, yeah. No, it's my favorite part, and it is laughable. It's very laughable. So I was wondering how you, why you were laughing. But okay, uh, <laughs> Gaunt Gary was a pool player, and I had been at that time when I got the part. I, I was a, uh, I was a big pool player, so it, it just fit my character. Uh, no, it, it fit my persona at at that time that I did the show, I was playing a lot of pool, and I happened to be cast as a pool player. So that was just a, a pool player. Uh, I played a hologram pool player um, on the lower deck, uh, the game room. But Wind Dancer was a great, great part because it's so ridiculous that it is totally laughable. And that's what I want to be played on my tombstone. I want a TV <laughs> set installed in my tombstone and i just want the cut of me as wind dancer played over and over and over again when you come to the gravestone you just push a button and it starts to play wind dancer what it was was okay picture i want you to picture a white volleyball you got it white yeah. volleyball okay now on the white volleyball i want you to paint uh, some some red squares. You know how uh, sometimes volleyballs have you know uh, they're they're hexa hexagons. You know it's every other hexagon is red and white and red and white. You know well a, a volleyball with hexagons that are red and white. Okay, and now put two eyes and nose and a mouth on it that talks. So the volleyball now talks. It's got a face. They that made a mosaic of your face. <laughs> that face, no, no. The, the the eyes and the nose and the mouth are, are are mine. You can recognize Larry Hankins' face is the volleyball. Yeah, but I'm a volleyball, and I float in the air. Hence, wind dancer. I am blown by the wind, and I can move myself. I can wind myself, but I float around, and I can. So the part was that I had some information that I had to deliver to somebody, wind dancer. I don't know how they came up with this concept, but I float in and then I float in midair and talk to somebody, you know, hey, do watch out for this guy or here's the information or blah, blah, blah. And then I whoosh, fly off. That's it. That's the part. Five lines, basically. But. The, it looks so ridiculous. And I had to be in the makeup department for two hours getting that makeup on. <laughs> Making my face, you know, white so it fit on the chroma key onto a volleyball. It was just, you know, and then I did the part for about two seconds. So two hours of makeup, two seconds of, you know, on camera. But when I watched it, I just thought it was Great. I just love it. It's just the most ridiculous thing an actor can be hired to do. Play a volleyball <laughs> that floats in the air with your face on it. And you, you know that there's you know there's a trading card of that character? 
What do you mean by a training card? What? Uh, what? Like a train, like you know, like for um, like some of the like Dungeons and Dragons games and stuff like that, different character ones. They have one for Star Trek Next Gen- Generation, and yeah. there is an actual a Wind Dancer card on there. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, how do you get one? Well, what is it on the internet? Do you buy it or what? It's uh yeah 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 like uh, most of your like game and hobby shops and that that have those and that but it's yeah listed as a century the Palex Colony only allows those whose hearts are joyous to pass. That wow, is man, I gotta get one. <laughs> uh, so is it a game? Yeah, yeah, it's for it's for a game. It, it's like a role playing oh, game. game. What's the name of the game? Uh, it's a Star Trek: The Next Generation, the 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 card game. Okay, Star Trek. So if I go into a toy store, I might be able to buy that game because I want the card. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's a picture. It's a picture of your face and that on the card and everything with it. Holy so. cow! <laughs> hey, hey, Larry, we, we, we got to hit up this game company, company, buddy. I think they owe you some money. <laughs> wow. Well, they may own the character, but <laughs> uh, but see, that's why I do podcasts. I learn stuff about. I don't follow me, but you guys tell me this this stuff. That's incredible. Okay, hey, so. Uh, Start we'll actually look up for you, Larry. If we can find where you buy these at, I'll send you a link through your email. Okay, what? Well, can you send me just a, a heads up about that game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. anything, yeah. Where, where there's something that has to, okay, but but let me just, okay, it's called the Star Trek game. Uh, oh, what's the, the episode? Well, it, it's Star Trek The Next Generation, the, oh. and it's the card game. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to write this down. I'm, I'm writing this down right now. Star Trek. Um, see, this is where the dyslexia comes in. Okay, Star Trek uh, Next Generation. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. Generation. Okay, now tell me the rest of it. And then you want just the trading card game. Oh, oh, trading or, card. Or, or, or not. You want a role-playing card. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, oh, I think role-playing it's card. role-playing. Yep. Okay. That, that and is, that and, is and Larry, either you signed one or somebody's got an autograph. There's robbing your autograph here, buddy. Oh, really? It has my autograph or theoretically my autograph? No, yeah, no somebody signed yeah. your, your name on one of yeah, these there's cards. There's one on of eBay. these that is signed. It's on <laughs> eBay. It, it says L. Hankin on it. In a oh, shark. Oh, I'm gonna go there. <laughs> well, now, so what should I go? I just want to see it. Um, so it's go on eBay um, and what, what should I type in? eBay to uh, what, what? if you just type at the Wind Dancer Star Trek the Next Generation car on Google, you can it'll bring up some images in that of the car. Oh, okay, cool. Wind Wind Dancer. All right, just Google Wind Dancer. Holy cow, it's that famous. It was on for just a couple of seconds. When <laughs> Star Trek, man, they, they don't. That's what I said, Those man. fans are hardcore. We couldn't get away yeah. with not talking about Star Trek today uh, just because of their fan base. They're loyal, you know. Well, you know, okay. But, I, I, you know, I can't, as an individual, just as Larry, I, I can't follow everything. I've been on, like, <laughs> the, the podcasters have told me I've been on 182 movies and TV shows. I mean, I can't follow oh, all that. Uh, but but i mean you know it it was it was fun doing all of those you know um okay listen i gotta i gotta i gotta 
get uh, get out of here. I got a. a an oh yeah, man, you got a, you got appliances talking back to you <laughs> over there. You got to figure out what the hell's going on in your house. You got yeah. you got a poltergeist maybe, to deal with. <laughs> yeah, this could be a ruse. I mean, I may not be on the air at all. I'm talking to my laptop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Larry, you're you're the best, buddy. We appreciate your time. We hope to have you back again in the future, man. Let me turn greatest. you on, man. Just give me a ring, a, a, a jingle, a ring. Give me a, a, a ringle. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, you you take thank care. You, what, what's that, Larry? Sorry, buddy. You're breaking okay, up. Thank you, Dan. I just was, thank you, uh, Danny. And uh, what are your friend's name? Who, who's your, your, your hey, friend? Dean. V? Dean. Spell it. Like like James Dean. Dean. Oh, Dean. 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 Yeah. Okay, Dean. Dean and Danny. The Dean, the, the D brothers. Okay, I, I'll see you. I got to work. Okay. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Take care, Larry. All right, Larry. Bye, buddy. Bye.